0: Welcome to Discover Library and Archives Canada, your history, your documentary heritage. I'm your host, Jessica Ouvrard. Join us as we showcase treasures from our vaults, guide you through our many services, and introduce you to the people who acquire, safeguard, and make known Canada's documentary heritage. On February 3rd, 1916, at 8.37 p.m., the alarm was raised on Parliament Hill that a fire had broken out in Centre Block. By the next morning, the building had been reduced to a smoking ruin encrusted in ice. The exact cause of the fire was never determined. With Canada fully immersed in the First World War and the 50th anniversary of Confederation rapidly approaching, it was imperative that Parliament be rebuilt immediately to engender a sense of enduring strength and continuity in the hearts and minds of Canadians. In this episode, Joanna Mesgala, Curator for the House of Commons, takes us back to that chilling night in Canada's history. She also discusses the bold vision of the architects charged with the task of rebuilding Parliament. If you are interested in viewing images associated with this podcast, you can follow along by viewing our Flickr gallery. You can access a direct link at bac-lac.gc.ca slash podcasts. The
1: fire began in the evening. At that time, um, the house did sit until quite late in the evening and, um, and people did stay overnight in the building. So, for instance, the speaker at the time, Speaker Sevigny's wife and his three children and some of their friends were in the speaker's apartment when the fire broke out. So what we know is that the fire started um, late in the evening in the reading room. It's not a hundred percent known what the cause was, but the most likely culprit was um, a lit cigar in a waste paper basket. And the uh, reading room was a, was a wood paneled room. The wood had just been oiled and varnished. Um, in those days, newspapers were kept on long curtain rods in the space so there was paper everywhere so even when the smoke began down low in the floor and people were alerted that there was a fire when uh, one of the guards went out and tried to get the fire extinguisher to put it out they blew embers from the fire and those just you know it was like a little tinderbox exactly yeah so this is, you know, late at night in February, in the, the middle of the, uh, of the Great War, the First World War. Um, and they're, they're sitting. Um, the fire spreads very, very quickly. So um, ar- around 9 p.m. Uh, there's a knock on the door of the chamber and they're told without much ceremony, you know, there's a fire, you all have to get out. At the time, there, um, the hallway between the library and the chamber was lined with uh, with sort of cubby holes where they could put their coats and uh, hat boxes, and of course, all of this was uh, you know fuel for the fire. So right. the fire spread really, really quickly. The wind blew the fire up onto the rooftops and then over to the other side. Um, at that time, the building was, crea- was um, it was was designed to have a number of inner courtyards, mm-hmm. so the fire was spreading really quickly from one floor to the other, and then up onto the roof outside into these courtyards because windows were open. Um, wind, just the right conditions for right. the fire to spread. The one piece of the historic building that did survive, of course, is the library, and that was because it had been designed with um, iron fire doors. So as soon as the fire was really out of control, they were able to close the door. A quick-thinking librarian—we owe the—we owe the we owe the, um, the Library of Parliament to a quick-thinking librarian who closed the fire doors. So the the library did survive the blaze. As soon as the word spread that there was a fire, everybody who who could rent the hill to either help get people out or to help with any salvaging. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the um, the seventy seventh Battalion of the C.E.F. was training in Ottawa, and um, Sam Hughes was having dinner over at the Chateau Laurier, and so they brought. Um, members of the 77th over and they helped form the perimeter to help the firefighters put out the fire. Also, you know, they were giving people water and soup through the night and they were trying to put the fire out through the night. And um, uh, Prime Minister Borden's diaries note that even though the fire continued late through the night, the, um, the clock kept sounding the hours. So at nine o'clock, at ten o'clock, at eleven o'clock, but this is sort of right out of a out of a novel. So it it didn't quite strike twelve, and then the bell from the tower f- crashed down to right. the ground, hmm. and the bell was restored a couple of years ago, and it's actually out on the um, on the lawn of Parliament behind on the bluff. Okay. Yeah. So, so that it, was the
0: original Parliament bell.
1: That was the original bell from the original tower. Okay. From the Victoria Tower. From the Victoria Tower, which was a little smaller than the current Peace Tower and, of course, didn't have a carillon, but did have a belfry and, uh, and did have a clock. Is it true that a number of women tried to get their fur coats before leaving the building? This is a story that is true. They, these were um, guests of the speaker. So when there, as I said, the speaker's wife and his children, including very young children, so sleeping in the nursery, were, were present that night. Um, the speaker went to rouse them and to get them out of the building. And it said that um, some of the women who were part of that party Decided that they wanted to go back and get their coats. Now, it it may just have been because it was the middle of the night in February, not specifically because they were for coats, but it, it's it's tragic because they 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 perished as a oh. result of that decision, and and um, they were elegized in the chamber the next day when they talked about those who had died. And one of them was a was a young mother of um, an, of I believe about five children. So it's very it's a very sad story. Mm-hmm. Were there other casualties? There were seven people who died altogether, including one MP, and um, he had left the chamber to go make a long-distance phone call. At the time, they used to have phone booths within the building, and um, his body actually wasn't discovered until much later, so people weren't sure who had gotten out and who had been present that evening, so it was much later that they determined that Bowman Law had died, and um, eventually there was a a memorial plaque in his honor that was put up in the hall of honor of the new building and later on um, the names of the other six people who died who were not MPs but nonetheless associated
0: with the fire their names were included as well. I also heard that there's a lot of rumors about what caused the fire Um, because it was a time of war.
1: Yeah and and because it was um, something so unexpected and it happened in the middle of the night there was a lot of confusion and um, a lot of um, contradicting reports though there was an inquiry later to find out sort of what had happened and there were conflicting stories Um, some members who had been in the reading room mentioned seeing people that they didn't recognize and um, the police chief at the time also mentioned that during the blaze he heard the sound of gunfire but again it's, it's, it's hard to know sort of what was happening and because it was the time of war it, it was, uh, it was um, something that would have been on
0: people's minds at yeah. the time was this an act of sabotage. So Canada is fully engrossed in the First World War and we've just lost our Parliament and it's actually coming to the 50th anniversary of Confederation this was an incredibly challenging time. So what were the next steps for the government? So this was
1: part of the reason why it was so important that construction begin, um, even if we were in the midst of a war effort and most of our industry was going to ensuring that those in uh, those overseas um, had what they needed to be able to do the, the work that we had sent them to do. So immediately that evening, well, late into the into the early morning, um, they convened at the Chateau Laurier to decide what it was that they were going to do and to come up with a series of options and the option that was proposed and accepted was that the House would sit in the Victoria Memorial Museum. So, they had to borrow the mace from the Senate because the mace of the House of Commons was lost in the fire and they set to work and they met the next day so it was incredibly important that there be continuity of government particularly because we were in the middle of a war effort had to be seen that um, that this would not deter the order and good government so they met in the Victoria Memorial Museum and they continued to meet there uh, for the next four years and almost um, immediately plans were put uh, forth to, at first they thought that they could perhaps um, restore Mm -hmm. the old building, but um, once they really saw the full devastation um, There was some um, of the stone that could be salvaged from the exterior, but really the interior had been completely lost. And also, um, since it had been constructed, Canada had grown considerably, new provinces had become part of Canada. Already they were kind of um, expanding at their borders and there wasn't enough space for all of the offices that were required. So a plan was put afoot to have a new building constructed. And um, this uh, contract was awarded to John Pearson from uh, Toronto and Omer Marchand from Montreal. And the two of them, they had never met, but they came together and they conceived of this building. So to Marchand, we owe the floor plan that we know today, which is very much a Beaux-Arts floor plan. And um, to Pearson, we owe the sort of overall conception of the building, how it would relate to the other two standing buildings on the parliamentary precinct, and then the order of design all the way down to the furniture that's used in each of the spaces.
0: Okay, so it was thoroughly planned out every single... But. yeah and
1: the building is an amalgam in the sense um, the exterior is a neo-gothic building so mm-hmm. that it echoes the original parliament building but it was greatly expanded um, it, w- it it now contains six floors the previous building was much smaller it was a bit of a rabbit's warren before with a lot of interior courtyards the Beaux-Arts plan is very clear very orderly um, and then with complete distinctions between the Senate side and the House side, and of course they wanted to attach the remnant of the historic building, attach the library to yeah. the new building, so that's why it has a very clear central corridor in the Hall of Honour. Yeah. So the building was begun right away, and um, and then four years later they were able to um, have the house meet in the building even though it wasn't completely finished and then by the end of the war of course there was um news of 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 the exact nature of the devastating loss that Canada had suffered and a desire for the peace tower to be constructed so the peace tower was a separate piece um the buildings really if you think about it it's really three separate spaces that are pulled together as one with that Hall of Honour as the main corridor. So the Peace Tower was begun in 1919 and it opened to the public in 1927.
0: Today my people of Canada unite to celebrate the diamond jubilee of confederation and on such a day they may well look with a just pride on the achievements of the past and with a confident hope to the promise of the future. In 60 years, the boundaries of confederation have extended tenfold, and its governments are now responsible for the welfare of nearly 10 million inhabitants. By labor, peace, and sacrifice of war, Canada has become a mighty nation.
1: What was their vision for the new building? Well, because this was a building um, conceived in the early 20th century, there was um, a distinct desire to incorporate those modern ideals in terms of the, the ways in which government would function and how the building would serve as an encapsulation of those ideals. So as I said, although the exterior is really um, a neo-Gothic structure, they were using um, modern technology to, to build the building. So the building has um, steel reinforcement, all of the, um, the arches and um vaults are are purely decorative they're they they do not serve the function. that vault isn't holding up the it's not a functional vault not it's at not all like a it's cathedral. it's decorative yeah, yeah that's yeah. right and in terms of Beaux-Arts this was a style that um was uh could really suit this notion of a, of a modern function for the building. So Beaux-Arts is characterized by having a very clear and distinct plan. So as you come in the building, there's an immediate sense of where you are and the grandeur of the space and then a distinct organization in terms of where it is you have to go. So in in Centre Block, for instance, um, everything related to the House of Commons is on the left side of the building and everything related to the Senate is on the right side of the building. There's also um, a notion of hierarchy in terms of the design, so the the highest appointed spaces in terms of architectural detail um, belong to the Senate as the Senior House of Government, and then of course to the House, and what people don't necessarily realize is that the the two speakers offices are much more elaborately decorated than the prime minister's office for example or the office of the official opposition sure. and as you go up the building and higher up on the floors um, it, it gradually it looks like any other early 20th century building so there's there's a primacy of place and a hierarchy with relation to the 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 what they what we call the highest and best use of the space within the building. Another characteristic of Beaux-Arts is the is decoration and decoration that has um, has a distinct storytelling feature so throughout the entire building there are signs and symbols that relate to Canada Um, in terms of flora and fauna of the country but also the the sort of origins of the country um, in terms of its government. So you'll see um, you'll see English roses, you'll see the the shamrock, mm-hmm. the thistle and uh, the fleur de lis. They appear everywhere, as do um, lions and unicorns. I mean, that's dating back to the yeah. the emblems of 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 England, but also um, the Canadian emblem as well.
0: Yeah. Was it just Pearson who had this obsession with symbolism or? there's we
1: know more because Pearson was the lead architect we know more about Pearson although um, it's a real tragedy his the the architectural papers and correspondence the business records of Pearson and Darling were destroyed in a fire so there's an enormous amount of conjecture based on the space and Mm. what we do know from the little correspondence there is and Pearson um, he did not consider himself a man of words, even though his letters are incredibly eloquent. He, he preferred to kind of tell influential people about things that he wanted and then they would tend to start to use his words. So it was Pearson's idea that the, that the, um, the Peace Tower be called the Peace Tower and it was his idea that it be called the memorial chamber and he he was very interested in the sort of play of words and the relationship of those spaces and he had a a kind of delicate way of getting what he wanted okay (laughs) interesting Mhm and there's a there's a really lovely letter that he wrote to the prime minister where he talks about what he imagines people will feel as they're walking onto parliament hill and walking up the stairs into the building and the the importance of the of the dignity of that space and it's a reflection of the the task that is put before uh, members of parliament that they have to remember that they have been chosen to represent Canadians and that they have a responsibility to 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 live up to those expectations so the the building is designed to um to keep that in the presence of mind the idea of coming coming into the space into a circular space in the in the confederation hall where you look up at the column There's light coming in through the windows up above you. You walk down this um, expanse of empty, beautiful space in the Hall of Honor that leads you to the library, which is such an incredibly beautiful space. It's like a little jewel box. And that would have been where you would have gone to do research to find out more um, in preparation for speeches that Mm -hmm. you would be giving in the chamber. Um, This is a, a time period where they're thinking very seriously about debate. These are men of letters and these are women of conviction and it's important that um, that they have a space that pays tribute to the importance of the work that they do. And Pearson, um, he encapsulated that in everything he did. So right down to the, the particular f- suites of furniture that could be chosen by different MPs for their office spaces. All of the furniture for the prime Minister's space, for example, was designed specifically to go into that space. Pearson worked with, um, uh, with artisans of the day, so all the ironwork, decorative objects that relate to uh, appointing the space properly. And um, the same thing with the incredible plaster ceiling in the um, in the speaker's office, the speaker's dining room as a space that they would um, have foreign dignitaries come and be greeted. Um, the, the chamber itself, which is just this incredibly ornate beautiful design um and and it's supposed to create a kind of feeling of awe from those people that remember as you walk through this building you have a duty Mm -hmm. to the country and you you have to be um cognizant of that duty throughout and and so for an architect who is a is an artist at heart um the thinking for Pearson was really to to that all of the space would be um, a, a way in which that he could subtly and sometimes very overtly remind people of what it is that they were doing of yeah. their duty. And some of the spaces are designed to be a little bit whimsical and a little bit surprising. And and I think sometimes that's a reflection of um, of, uh, of a, a way to release the pressure valve every so often. There's one corridor where if you look up, you see the um, you see the the hear no evil see no evil speak no evil monkeys (laughs) and um, (laughs) they're not part of any sort of actual design plan within that space they just appear and it there are moments of kind of delight as you look around the walls and you see um, you know he he incorporated some of the fossils that are present in the stone so yeah. he didn't try to hide those at all so as you're going down a corridor and down a stairwell you'll look and you'll see oh that's a that's a fern in the wall and yeah. th- there are these moments of surprise and delight throughout and that's I think about giving people an opportunity to kind of clear their heads every so often.
0: Are there elements in the Library and Archives Canada collection that pertain
1: to Parliament? Absolutely, as a matter of fact um, within LAC's collection you have the deed to Parliament Hill so as we know it was Queen Victoria who determined that Ottawa would be the capital and that Parliament would be built here and so the the deed is part of the collection. Also there are numerous photographs within the collection. Samuel McLaughlin took um, photographs not only of the um, historic building, what we know as the, the old building on Centre Block, but also um, uh, photographs during and in the aftermath of the fire and then during the construction period uh, following the um, the dismantling of the old building and the construction of the new. So there's there's quite a lot in terms of photographic material. And then you also have a collection that relates to the House of Commons. So in terms of documentary information, mm-hmm. this is here as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um, within the public works um, holdings. There are floor plans Mm. and uh, original blueprints for the Peace Tower and for other structures on Centre Block. Uh, On Parliament Hill, there's also um, correspondence between um, Pearson and uh, and the Prime Minister talking about the plans and what it is he'd like to do and the fact that he wanted to go over to Europe and ask for a series of gifts of uh, stone which would be incorporated into the memorial chamber. Um, there was a point during the construction where Pearson actually walked off the job and went on strike, and all of that correspondence is detailed within the Public Works documents. So it's there's a lot there yeah. and the and also the transcript. Of the, uh, of the inquiry are here as well. Right. There's a pretty comprehensive um, amount of material here at LAC. Mm-hmm.
0: If you'd like to learn more about the Centre Block fire and the reconstruction of Parliament, you can access a direct link to the Canada by Design website on the episode page for this podcast. Please visit bac-lac.gc.ca slash podcasts and click on the episode. On this page, you can also access a link to our Flickr Gallery and see about booking a guided tour on Parliament Hill. In commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the fire, Resilience, the fire of 1916, is on display at the Library of Parliament for the remainder of 2016, so make sure to include a trip to the Library on your tour. It features an extraordinary array of archival items related to the fire and the reconstruction, including items from the LAC collection. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jessica Ouvrard, and you've been listening to Discover Library and Archives Canada, where Canadian history, literature, and culture await you. A special thanks to our guest today, Joanna Miscala. For more information about our podcasts, or if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please visit us at bac-lac.gc.ca slash podcasts.